also want to share with you that uh, some of you I know already aware that Friday night was a tremendous tragedy uh, in our community in Clarendon County involving the Osteen family, Edie Osteen and Dalton Page were killed. Uh, these two young people actually had attended our church off and on. And I want us to pause and pray uh, for those families today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, these tragic accidents happen. We wonder why. And they just weigh down our hearts so much. And uh, we pray for these two families. We know, God, they just, they're just overwhelmed. They've got questions. They don't have answers. They're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And they need you with them. I know you were there. Comfort them. Encourage them. Lift them up. And God, let your grace be sufficient. Even if it's hard to see it today, help them know it's there. And Father, I know there's other people in our, in our uh, church circle. Uh, they're, they're worried because somebody they love has COVID. or Life just is hard. Relationships are hard. And just feel overwhelmed. Will you lift them up and be sustaining grace for them? Help us to hear your word today. Your word of hope and encouragement. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, uh, I know a man named Tom. Tom uh, grew up in a really good family. His parents were loving. They were committed to each other. They poured out grace to each other. And then they poured out grace on their kids they, they really invested in their family. And now that Tom has grown up, what kind of man do you think Tom is? How do you think Tom loves? Well, the answer is he actually loves pretty well. He, he followed the example of his parents. He loves his kids a lot. He loves his wife a lot. He, he's able to love strangers. But even as great as Tom is able to love, there's just one flaw. And the flaw is Tom sometimes doesn't understand that not everybody had a childhood like his. And he wonders, why don't all people love this way? Then there's Linda. Linda grew up in a house. She was adopted, and she, she could always sense this tension. There's this unspoken tension in the house all the time. And she never knew what it was about. And then when she was about 12, she discovered that her father was gay. And you can imagine what that would do to a 12-year-old girl and just how it blew up her world. I mean, she already, you know, as often happens with adopted children, she, she has these wonderings of, am I really loved? Why, why, what's my place in the family? And this just really wrecked Linda's world. I mean, she, she was very promiscuous when she was a young adult. And even now, as an adult, uh, she has a lot of trouble attaching. Do you think Linda's childhood affected her ability to love? Now... Let me tell you about Wanda. Wanda um, had just a horribly abusive stepfather. Her stepfather abused her in every evil way you never want to imagine. Now, how do you think that impacted Wanda's ability to love? If you're thinking, well, I bet Wanda finds it hard to love, you're exactly right. In fact, she doesn't love at all. She has built this cocoon around her life and she doesn't relate. She just does her job, goes home, and just shuts the door in cocoons. That's her life. 
Now, I could tell you story after story after story about how someone's childhood ends up impacting their life as an adult, their ability to love. And so that's why today's big idea is important. You might want to write it down. Whoever teaches you how to love determines how you love. And this is so obvious, but yet it's so important for us to understand. Whoever teaches you how to love determines how you love. There was a British psychologist named Jonathan Bowlby. And Bowlby's theory was the attachments that you form in childhood are so critical. If you grew up in a family where there's a lot of secure attachments, well, you're going to be able to love a lot easier than if you grew up in a family where there's not secure attachments. I know... This seems so obvious, but in the 30s and 40s, this was a revolutionary idea. And if you think about it, you know the attachments that you have in childhood impact your life. Have you ever just seen a newborn like a one-month-old? You can pass that baby, and you often do, from person to person to person to person, right? What happens when that baby is about eight months old? What happens when you try to pass them off to a caregiver? Wah! Right? Yeah, and they're mommy, mommy. I mean, they can't say mommy, but that's what they're saying with their cries. They just want their mommy because they are attached to mommy, not to this strange, threatening stranger. That baby has learned that they have an attachment. Now, this is what explains why when you're about 12 or 13 and you have your first boyfriend, first girlfriend, you know, and then... That girlfriend or boyfriend says to you, I think we need to break up. Why, you are so devastated? Because for the very first time, you thought you had discovered an attachment all your own, something your parents never knew about, and it's, it's yours. You're 12, you're in love, you're going to be together forever. And then you find out, no, you're not. It's devastating. And this is why when you're an adult and, and your spouse says to you, this isn't working out, it wrecks your world. It is a big deal. Because that attachment you thought was going to be secure, boom, it's gone. The attachments you have as a child are so important. You know, my sister tells me this story, told me this story. Uh, I don't remember it, but I was 18 months old when my father died. And the night he died, when everybody got back to the house, they kept trying to put me to sleep and I wouldn't go to sleep. I would just cry and cry and cry and cry. Why? When my father was gone, I was very attached to him as a child, apparently. And my mother was devastated. She was sobbing, and I couldn't get to her. And all the people, my aunts, who normally would have cared for me, they were devastated, too. So I was just left to cry. I'm telling you, attachment as a child is important. And if you don't have it, there's just all kinds of wounds. Can I tell you the ugly truth about every one of you? You don't love perfectly. True? True? Now, no fair pointing to your spouse and say, boy, that's really true of you. Right? But none of us were loved perfectly, so there's no way we can love perfectly. Now, this series is all about how to live, and you remember the first week we talked about how you need somebody to teach you. And last week we talked about being in control. Well, today we're going to talk about learning to love. Who needs to teach you how to love? If God taught you how to love, what would happen? What if God taught you how to love? So that's what we're going to explore today. And we're going to ask three key questions. 
What if God taught you how to love? Is our church loving? And is your love growing? Now, for those of you who love to outline messages, you take notes, you're going to really like this message. Because we have three questions, and under each question, we have three points. Okay? So you've got nine points to write down. Aren't you glad? And for those of you who are not outliners, sit back, relax, enjoy. Okay, Paul starts out in verse 9, and he says, Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write you. So he's talking to these Christians at Thessalonica, and he's saying, you've got this right. You actually get this. Why? Well, we're told in the next verse, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. This is important. These Thessalonians realized they didn't know how to love each other. They didn't know how to love their families. They didn't know how to love in the church. They didn't know how to love their community. They didn't know how to love, so they were humble enough to pray an important prayer. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, teach us to love. When was the last time you prayed? Heavenly Father, teach me to love. Heavenly Father, will you teach me how to love? Because I don't know how to do it. I think if you pray that prayer, there are three great truths that God's love is going to present to you. Three great truths when you pray, Heavenly Father, teach me how to love. The first great truth comes from the verse that everybody knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here is the big truth in that verse. Love gives love gives. If you love someone, you want to give to them. And this is the example of God. God so loved us. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He didn't have to do this, you know. He could have just left us alone in our misery, but he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth, to die for our sins, and then to be resurrected so we could have transforming power to change our lives. If you love like God, You will give. How giving are you in your relationships? (laughs) Now, can I just get real into your business? Isn't it true that most of your relationships that have failed have failed because one of you or the other didn't know how to give? Now, here's the second truth. Under this question, what if God taught you how to live? And you find this in Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, now let's, let's slow down through this verse. Listen to what it tells us about God. God is compassionate. In other words, God actually seeks to understand you. That's why Jesus came and became a human being so that we could know he understands us. And then we're told that God is gracious. He gives us what we need, not what we deserve. Aren't you glad of that? And then we are told that our God is slow to anger. In other words, he is not focused on your injuring him. He is focused on you and your hurt that makes you act out. And our God is abounding in love and abounding in faithfulness. He is there for you in the ups and he's there for you in the downs. Because love 
prizes the relationship. Love prizes the relationship. You know, a lot of times when I have done marital counseling and I sit down with a husband and a wife, what I hear a lot of is, well, she doesn't understand me and he doesn't meet my needs and, and, and we don't communicate. It's like, wait, wait, what about, what about us? What about we? Who is working to take care of the relationship? Love prizes the relationship. And that's what it means in the Bible when it says that God first loved us. He took the initiative. He prizes a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. What would happen in your life if you prized your relationships? If God taught you to do that? Now here's a third truth to know. One of this first question. What if God taught us to love? And this is in Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is when I wish y'all were old-fashioned Baptists. I had a couple of amens out here. This is some of the greatest scripture in the world. you hear what it says? Have you sinned? Doesn't keep you from the love of God. You face an obstacle in life, doesn't keep you from the love of God. You face a deep hurt and a deep wound, doesn't keep you from the love of God. Now, I want you to hear it again. See if you can get fired up this time. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's better. This side's still better. You guys, you've got to get with the program on this side. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. I would, but i got to press on. Okay. I want you to hear what this means. It means love conquers. That's one of the things God wants to teach you is that love conquers. You've got a child breaking your heart. Love will conquer that. You've got a, a devastating past and you've messed up. Love will conquer that. You, you've got some trauma and some anxiety and some depression. Love will conquer that. You're trying to figure out life. Love will conquer that. The love of Jesus Christ can conquer everything. Don't you think you could learn something from God about loving? And how about how love can conquer things? Now, if you loved like God, what would your life be like? If you let God teach you, what would your life be like? Now, this is a picture of a man named Johanna Catanocho. Johanna lives in Israel, is a Palestinian, and on top of that, he is a Baptist pastor. Strike three. Right? I mean, can you imagine a more difficult place? Now, you may not know this, but if you are a Palestinian and you live in Israel, Israeli soldiers can stop you at any time on the streets demand to see your identification papers, assess you as a terrorist threat, and if you do not respond quickly enough, they can shoot you and be legally justified. It's kind of scary, don't you think? Now, Johanna also teaches at a Baptist school in Nazareth. So he knows the Bible. And he reads the Sermon on the Mount one day, and that verse, that troublesome, troublesome verse that comes up ever so often, love your enemies, is there. And he goes, 
but I don't love my enemies. I don't love these Israeli soldiers. They're interfering in my life. They're making my life difficult. They delay me for hours sometimes. They harass me. They make me feel less than a human being. And then <clears throat> Johanna said he realized Jesus did not make this as a suggestion. He gave it as a command. And he realized that love's a decision, not a feeling. So he decided, even if he didn't feel like it, he was going to do something. This is what he did. He began to carry copies of a flyer that he had made up. And on top of it was the words, real love. And then underneath it was a quote from Isaiah 53. So every time an Israeli soldier stopped him, which would happen four or five times a week, he would not only give his identification papers, he would give this flyer. And they would look at it and they would see real love and then they would see the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah 53, quoted, and they'd ask him a question about it. And he would tell them about Jesus. Now, Johanna admits when he first did this, it was like, I'm going to tell you about God's love. But over time, God changed his heart. Over time, he began to actually love those soldiers. Over time, he found himself going down the streets, and when he saw the Israeli soldiers, this Palestinian Baptist pastor would start to pray, Lord, let them stop me so I can tell them about the love of Jesus. That's how God taught Johanna to love. Do you think God needs to teach you anything about love? Can you pray that prayer? What, what do I need to learn, Heavenly Father, and teach me? Teach me to love. Okay, quickly, let's go now to the second question. So if you're outlining, that was the first question, three points. Second question. Is our church loving? Verse 10 says, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. So these Thessalonians, these Christians, they loved the church. They didn't just love the church. They loved everybody in their region, not just their city. They were getting this right. Now, if I were to ask you today, is Alice Drive a loving church? You would probably say, you know, I feel pretty loved. I hope you'd say that. But, but I want you to realize there's a difference between saying, I feel loved at church and answering the question, is our church loving? So there are three tests whether a church is really loving or not. Three tests. Number one, do we love like Jesus? Do we love like Jesus? Loving like Jesus is more than toleration. Jesus says this in John 15, 12 through 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Not a holy suggestion. My command, if you're a Jesus follower, I want you to love one another the way I loved you. And how did I love you? I laid down my life. Jesus says, I was willing to go last so you could go first. I think it ought to take an hour to empty the parking lot after church. Because I think every one of you in the parking lot after church ought to be going, you go first. No, you go first. You go first. You go first. But I've seen how you leave the parking lot. <laughs> Looks like demolition derby out there. 
What would happen? What would happen if even just here, even just here in this very safe place, we were able to say, look, when it comes to being the body of Christ, it's not about me. It's not about me getting my way. I want it to be about you. I'm willing to sacrifice for your good. That's the first test. Do we love like Jesus? Here's the second test. Are we encouraging? Have y'all ever been to a discouraging church? Oh, I have. I've been to churches where you kind of walk in and you sort of instantly start feeling worse about yourself. There's just a vibe in the room and you just go, oh, I don't like this. Sad truth is I pastored a discouraging church one time. Three years I tried to get them to be encouraging. I finally left when I realized they were pulling me under. I think church ought to be a place where you are encouraged, lifted up, where you find some hope in the midst of a lot of chaos of life. This is what the book of Hebrews says, verse 10, chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let me stop right there. You need somebody in your life who encourages you, spurs you on to be better than you are. Because when you're left on your own, your natural tendency is to become more selfish. And that leads you to becoming a discouraging person. So you need somebody to be a spur. Someone who will say, hey, this is the direction and this is the speed you need to go. Someone who will encourage you to good deeds. Now look at the next verse, verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now that's important. Whether you are meeting online or you're in a room, you encourage people with your presence. You don't know this, but I'll prove it to you. How many of you enjoyed our worship today? Good for you. All right, I just want you to think about this. Would it be the same experience if you were in the room by yourself and we played all the music you just heard. No, it wouldn't be the same experience. I mean, some of you would tap your toe and you might go, but there's something about being in the room together. You encourage one another. Your presence here encourages one another. That's why it's important to come together. That's why it's important to show up, even online. You're encouraging just by being there. So are we an encouraging congregation? Here's a third test under this question. Is our church loving? Are we doing good for each other? Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. To do good means I want and I work for your good. That means I've actually got to know you. That means I need community with you. That's why being in a life group is important. That's why to be a place of grace, we have to take time to know each other and understand each other. So what are you doing to make ADBC a loving church? Now, if you're not part of ADBC, if this is your first time or your first time joining us online, you are off the hook. But your second time, yeah, we, want, we want to be a church that really loves each other. Years ago, we had an older a pair of ladies. They were sisters. They lived together, and they were, shall we say, eccentric. And then the point re uh, rose where they were no longer able to live on their own, 
And so they went into a nursing home. They needed to sell their house. Uh, they didn't have any family. And so they contacted the church and said, is anyone at the church able to clean out our house? And so we turned to two of our deacons and they said, yes, we'll go do it. What we didn't know is they were hoarders. So these two deacons go over there to do the work of Jesus, find out that there's this little path from the kitchen door that goes to the stove, goes to the refrigerator, goes to each of their bedrooms, and goes to two chairs in front of a TV. And everything else from floor to ceiling is stacked. Now, had it been me, I would have thought about arson. But these deacons were better than I am. They got a dumpster. They began to just haul rubbish out of that house. And in the rubbish, hidden, they found a freezer. Unplugged. Full. Explained some of the things they'd smelled. They opened it up. They ran outside for air. They took a gulp and ran back in and shut it. And thought, what are we going to do? Right then, I would have gone from thinking about arson to doing arson. <laughs> they duct taped up that freezer and threw it in the dumpster. And, and after about a week of this, you know, I ran into them. I said, how's it going? And they started telling me. And I'm gagging as they're telling me the story. I know, you know, it's not really polite conversation for church, but that was what was going on. And I'm just saying, you guys are saints. You are saints for doing this. And they said, no, pastor, we're just, we're just loving people like Jesus. Because isn't that what Jesus does? Doesn't he take all the garbage of our life and clean it out? What are you doing to make this a loving church? All right, last question. Is your love growing? Is your love growing? There's a false idea out there that love is static. So there's this older couple, and she turns to him one day and says, how come you don't tell me that you love me anymore? And he says, I told you I loved you the day we got married. I'll let you know if it changes. Okay, love is not static. It is either shrinking or it is growing. It doesn't just stay the same. It's true of every relationship. So listen to what Paul says. I mean, he's, he said, you guys are doing this. God has taught you how to love. This is great. And, and you even love people not in your town, but I want your love to keep growing. Listen, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. See, a lot of us think if we spread our love out, we'll run out. But love is different. You need to understand the economy of love the more love that goes out, the more love grows in. Meaning, you cannot run out of love, especially when our Heavenly Father's love is pouring into your life. So I want to teach you another prayer to pray. It is, Heavenly Father, grow my love. Heavenly Father, will you grow my love? Now, there's three directions your love needs to grow. And they're all found in Scripture. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, love your neighbor as yourself. You need to love your neighbor. 
I know some of you are saying, well, the left one's not so bad to love, but the one on the right, whoo, will love them, want good for them, do good for them, bless them. Love people who are different than you, a different race than you, people who annoy you. Love people who vote different than you. Love your neighbor. Now, let me tell you a second direction where your love needs to grow. This is from Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And whenever you see in the Bible that phrase, I am the Lord your God, after a series of instructions, that's punctuation. That's God saying, don't forget, I am the Lord your God. So love the stranger. You were once strangers in Egypt. Everybody in this room has been a stranger sometime, right? You walked into a room, you didn't know anybody. It's uncomfortable. You walked into a church for the first time, felt weird. You walked and met your in-laws for the first time, strange. Everybody's had that experience. But let me tell you, this is the reason why you need to love the person who's on the outside. Because when we were on the outside, Jesus Christ came for us. When we were on the outside, he died on the cross to reach you for your sins. So learn to love the people who are so different than you. But I'll tell you, that doesn't come naturally. That's why you need God to teach you how to love. Here's the last direction that your love needs to grow. Jesus said this, and again, these are all commands. These are all commands. Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you love your enemies? Do you love your competitors in business? How about people who belong to a different political party? How about people of different racial background? How about people who beat the United States in the Olympics? Do you love them? Do you pray for them? I want you to think about how different this world would be if just the believers, just the believers would pray for people that are their enemies. Some of you would have to start by praying for your ex. Some of you would have to start by praying for that coworker who takes credit for all your work. People who insult you, people who oppress you. What direction does your love need to grow? I knew a man for a long time uh, for 25 years, and he was a bitter, negative person. I don't know quite how he got that way. It's just the way he was. If he won the lottery, he would give you five reasons why it was a bad thing. But he was a follower of Jesus, and I saw this man start to change. Over time, I saw him start to change. He, who had really not been a very good husband, he started really loving his wife, took care of her when she was sick, did things he never thought he would do. I saw, I saw him weep over his children. I saw him become generous, giving. I saw God teach this man how to love. Was he still broken? Absolutely. Did he still mess up? Yes, he did. But I saw him grow. 
because God was teaching him to love. I'd like that to be your story. I'd like that to be your story. And that's why I'm so glad today we're taking the Lord's Supper. Because it reminds us it can be our story. So I want to invite you to get your, your little cup. And if you don't have one, if you'll raise your hand real quick, our deacons will, will make sure you get one. So just raise it high enough so that folks can see you, deacons can see you. And if you will, flip the, the, the cup so that the bread part is up and take off that little wrapper. Take that piece of bread out and just hold it for a minute. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Do you think that the God who loved you so much that he gave his son, he let his son be broken on a cross. He let his son experience all the pain of humanity. He let his son know what it was like to be betrayed, frustrated, and joyful. He, he let his son know everything that there is to know about being you. Do you think that God could teach you anything about love? So before you eat this, just pray silently. Heavenly Father, teach me to love. Now take and eat. Now if you'll turn that little cup over and peel off that top. As the juice is there, I want you to just think with me for a minute that your heavenly father loves you so much that he was willing to let his pure son down across for you. And then he was willing to let that son be raised again to give you power. Can that God teach you anything about love? So why won't you let God teach you to love? Well, you, you just right now say, God, whatever stands between me and you teaching me how to love, just take it away because I want to learn how to love from you. And take and drink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are such a good, good God. But teach us to love. And I know, God, there are some people here today, they're thinking about some really tough people to love. Would you help them, Father? Teach them. Grow their hearts. And Father, I know there's people here today who don't know Jesus, and I pray that today they would embrace Jesus so they can learn to love. And I ask all of this in his amazing name.